you know, when, when dad has a master plan, look out, you know? And so I told the kids, let's quick, get ready. Let's go to the car. And Emma, my oldest daughter came to me and said, dad, would it be okay if I just grabbed my socks and shoes and put them on in the van? And I thought, you want a girl after my own heart? Excellent idea. That'll be quicker, but go through the garage, through the driveway into the van because, you know, it was springtime. There was a thaw and, you know, the, the yard was just like soupy muddy. And um, so she did. She went through the garage, through the driveway, got in the van. Everybody got in. My wife, Lois, was the last one to get in the van. And as she gets in the van, she says, oh, I forgot the library card. Emma, the diligent, kind, servant girl that we had, not all of our kids were like that, but she was like that. <laughs> she said, oh, I'll get it, mom. And she took off before I could remind her around the back of the house. And she ran with her white socks that she had on, but not shoes, like a quarter horse on a muddy track. I saw clods flying from the back of her feet. And they were turning brown as she went out. It just shot it out. No! And right on cue, Nathan and Noah started fighting in the back. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, hacking at each other. I said, that's it. We're not going to the library. Everybody out of the van. <laughs> so I walk around the back of the van. My wife comes out the other side and meets me in the back. And she says, I'm not so sure that's the way you wanted that to go. <laughs> instant conviction <laughs> so i gathered my kids together and i confessed two things i confessed my outward sin my anger said you know daddy got angry but i want to explain to you why daddy got angry and i wanted to help them to see what was going on in my heart so the bible says that jesus is our peace jesus said my peace i give you my peace I leave unto you. But daddy didn't want to get his peace from Jesus. He wanted to get his peace from a well-ordered and planned day where everything went according to his rule as though he were king. But actually Jesus is king. And I, when I didn't get my way, displayed my wrathful anger. And that's wrong. And so I'd like to ask you guys to forgive me for my anger and I wanted to let you know that I was loving my day more than Jesus. That's why things went bad. So, so you know, do, do my kids then say, oh, okay, I guess the way you go through life is to fail. No. My kids, though, never had this. And I, and I know this is true because God helped me to confess my sin. My, my kids never had this perspective. My dad is perfect. I can never be like him. You know, the, one of the biggest curses you can bring on your children is to make them feel like they could never be like you. That Christianity is outside of their reach. And so, you know, in the course of our day, uh, the greater a sinner you are, as long as you're willing to repent, the greater example you'll be to your kids. So you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be true and keep God, Jesus, as number one. And get back to there when you falter. Another thing that you can do is let kids know what's going on in your spiritual life. Don't keep that hidden. One of the things that I would do with my kids, since I'm, an, I'm a morning person, I would get up early. I would usually pray or have devotions in the morning. Um, if I had not done anything, my kids would have never seen me do devotions. 
So when they were young, uh, once a week, I would wake a different one up early in the morning, it might be 6am, get them up, say, hey, dad's praying. I wanted you to pray with me for a little bit. Let's go downstairs. And uh, I would say, you know, I want to pray for this. What do you think we should pray for? And they would give a suggestion. We would say two little short prayers. Three minutes later, we'd end and I would take them back to bed. They were probably out of bed about eight or 10 minutes at the most, but they grew up knowing that daddy prays. So let your, let what's going on in your life, uh, you know, be known to your kids. If, if you uh, read a passage of scripture in the morning and it really affects you and you underline it and you star it, uh, you know, take that Bible, stick it next to where you eat your dinner. And it'll remind you when your family gathers, oh, 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 you know what? I just wanted to, I wanted to share with you. This verse really stood out to me. Um, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, I'm reading Psalm 103 and, I, and that hit me. And I, I've heard it before, but, but it's an impossible distance. The East is from the West. They never come together. God cast our sins that far away. And it just blessed me this morning. And I just thought you'd like to know. That's Psalm 103. If you if you want to look at it, it's a really good song. Boom. So, how's that? Does that help? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so good. Um, I uh, I think I've had that similar experience in the van before. Um, <laughs> no comment as to how it uh, ended, but uh, no, so uh, so helpful. Uh, questions uh, for you guys. Don't be shy. We missed the, can you hear me back here? I don't know. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, so I missed the intro. I'm sorry, we were late. Um, but it sounds, I think I've counted three or four kids by the names. So we have five kids and in this season, they go from 18 months to nine years old. And so it seems really busy and hairy and like, it seems like no one ever finishes the sentence hardly. Um, Cause they're talking, but they're not formulating sentences, you know, but they're talking a lot. So I guess my question is, um, did you ever go through ebbs and flows where you felt like, man, I don't feel like I get to see child number or child number three, you know, those middles. <laughs> um, and because I do see my oldest, I pay a lot of attention to her and I do pay a lot of attention to the baby. So there's some truth to those middle children. And I grew up the baby of the family by like a gap of 10 years. And I did not grow up in a Christian home. So I'm not drawing from like any logistical experience, like watching that. So do you have any testimonies of like yeah that's normal you're gonna feel like your middles are getting left out or are there times in life when discipleship took place that maybe we're missing out on because maybe we're we're you know not being intentional in that little moment or something like that yeah i had a very similar situation we have six children uh we started out with twins and uh our youngest is you know it's 10 years so you know, uh, our youngest was born. We had two 10-year-olds, you know, one eight-and-a-half-year-old and in between. So um, one of the things that I would say is when you have a brand-new infant, they'll take up all your time. And uh, that's just a season that, that that's okay. Um, and 
and you know you will have a tendency to concentrate on the older ones and the youngest one and leave the middle ones behind and so one of the things that lois and i did uh, a practice that we actually still maintain today is we have uh, set aside time with uh, each of our kids that um, we do what we call a late night with them. Now, when they were really young, we didn't do it probably until they started like, you know, six years old. But um, we would have an evening um, and we did, we had six kids and we did it three times uh, for each kid a year. So we're not talking like every week we do this, but so um, some months we did two and some months we did one. It was late night with mom and dad and it would be all about that kid and they got to stay up late. And uh, um, we had a little part of our bedroom, um, that a little corner that we put a table uh, and some chairs made like a little restaurant table and we'd bring ice cream in or something that only they got to do. We had a little TV in there. Sometimes we'd watch a movie, just them. And uh, we would take opportunity to draw out that child. As the kids got older, we began to take them out places, not really expensive. Like it's, it's amazing how much miles you can get out of uh, a couple of sodas and an order of, you know, a large order of fries. Um, you know, it's not that expensive. Um, every one of our kids love French fries. So <laughs> it really worked well. Um, and now even uh, as uh, our kids are older and married, we've taken opportunity to uh, continue that same cycle. And we take out the couple and uh, we treat them to a modest dinner. Um, or we'll bring something to their place to eat. And uh, late night with mom and dad became a treasure to them. And it was the way that we could help to make up for um, the inequalities in daily life that had to be there. Um, and, and so our kids never grew up, any one of them thinking like, I don't count because there was this wonderful equalizing joyful experience of spending a late night with mom and dad. It's really helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> very doable, which is yeah. very important. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the questions we have uh, is from somebody that's on Zoom watching. It would have kind of been like an inception moment, a Zoom person asking another Zoom person the question. <laughs> she texted me the question. Um, she's uh, one of the young professionals, uh, singles at our church. She asked, "How, what, what kind of encouragement would you say in terms of folding in singles into family discipleship, both how they can be helpful or proactive, as well as for families, including, uh, especially in the church context, singles in their church, uh, to be a part of their family discipleship? Well, what I would say is the corroborating wisdom of someone outside of the parental circle is enormous in reaching children. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you say it, your wife says it, and the kids write it off, and the neighbor down the street says it, and they believe it. 
you know, <laughs> like if you don't, if you keep your leaving your bike out in the rain, it's going to get rusty. They don't care what you said. Dad says, you know, you keep leaving your bike out in the rain, you're going to get rusty. And, you know, their friend down the street is, is using paste wax from his dad's uh, car and shining his bike up. And he won't, you know, he won't let it out in the rain. He says, man, you let that thing out in the rain, it's going to rust. It's like, hey, do you mind if I put a little paste wax on my bike? If I leave it out in the rain, it's going to, I was like, what the heck? I'm even saying all this stuff. So, so um, you know, serving, serving families by uh, watching their kids, being involved in children's ministry on Sunday and or VBS, learning children remembering their names, giving them wise counsel, listening for times that they disobey their parents and being able to reinforce the truth their parents were saying. You know, um, our kids disobey all the time. So, you know, you're at church, you say, okay, now uh, let's put our coats on, we're gonna go, no! Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, no matter how you say it, that no's going to stick. But if, but if uh, Susan, uh, a single in the church who, who watches your kids, um, goes hears it and goes over to your son and says, hey, you shouldn't speak to your mom like that. She really cares about you. And God says, honor your father and mother. Why don't you go over there and say, mom, I'll put my coat on. And, you know, they might tell her no too, but but often, <laughs> often that, that other voice can have an impact. Even if they say no, it's like, oh my gosh, there's other people wa watching me and what I just said was wrong. Uh, so um, reading kids' stories, um, giving gifts to uh, families, good gospel resources. Hey, you know, uh, I just got a present for your family uh, at Christmas. I just saw this book. I, I read that it's a great discipleship tool. So open it up with your kids and I, and I hope it blesses you. So, you know, uh, taking this idea of passing on the truth to the next generation as a single is important. You know, in Psalm 78, it it talks about the responsibility of fathers um, passing on uh, truth to children. But then it also says, we will not hide these things from their children. And, and so what you see is like, okay, outside the circle of the parent, there's a responsibility that Israel took to ensure that the next generation understood the things of the Lord. So there's a parental responsibility, but there also seems to be a corporate opportunity to share this story. That's so helpful, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Alyssa, who asked that question, said thank you so much, and um, yeah, definitely uh, a number of encouraging things there, and even just an encouragement of, as you have people in your home, especially if you invite someone over, fold them into what you do, you know, don't feel like you have to hide that from them, but allow them to be a part of it. It's such a blessing to share in that with others, even, even when it doesn't go well, um, sharing in that is a blessing. Um, I'd love to know, I guess, different ages and stages, like how do you get started? We, I'm speaking as a mom of four, but they span ages, but I also know that there are some here that maybe just have a baby, like, how do you do discipleship at different stages 
And then like, what are spiritual goals you would have for them? Or what are you thinking about? But then also like, what if you cover a span of ages? Are you teaching to the oldest, to the middle, the youngest? Like, how do you think about them at each stage? And then specifically the group that you're doing, if you have that dynamic. So let's say that you have a family and um, you have three children. And uh, when you start off with your first child, parents are often eager, eager to get started. I've known dads that were trying to have family devotions with a, an 11 month old. And <laughs> I'm just like, dude, uh, that's great. It's, it's fine for you to read a Bible story, but like you're gonna get burned out doing family <laughs> devotions every day with your 11 month old. And when you really, if they can start to understand, you're gonna be tired, you're not gonna do it. So like, just, you know, take it easy. Uh, <laughs> you know i have a three-year-old grandson and he is the perfect age to begin to interact and understand in something like family devotions up until this point what we've been doing and what his parents have been doing is just reading books um you know just reading books and talking about jesus no programmed family devotions. Um, so, so that's your first child. By the time the first child reaches three, let's say you have that second child, they're an infant, what do you do? Well, they, they're just hanging around to you know, eat, get their diaper changed and sleep. No part of family devotions. As that three-year-old gets to be five, six years old, now your second child is three. And uh, you might be doing some, you know, simple family devotions like uh, every night before bed reading a Bible story to the six-year-old. And what's the three-year-old doing? The three-year-old is listening. Then as the, the um, six-year-old reaches nine, the three-year-old reaches six, and you have another three-year-old. Um, the nine-year-old can really start doing what I would call really, you know, maybe it start at seven, eight, nine years old. They start, you can have a regular family devotion. So a book like my long story short that goes through the Old Testament only takes 10 minutes a day. Um, you could set that next to where you sit. And, you know, the, uh, the nine-year-old can understand, you know, when you ask him the questions regarding the Bible study, he'll give you an answer. The six-year-old will give the same answer every day. That's 100% correct. Jesus. <laughs> so, so um, you know, who led Moses through the Red Sea? Jesus. Technically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so uh, you know, and the three-year-old is just, you know, he's banging on his tray. He doesn't care what's going on. Um, and as your kids get a little bit older, you've got an 11-year-old, you've got a 7-year-old, and you've got a 6-year-old. Now you're in the sweet spot, whereas you do family devotions, they're all beginning to participate. You know, that 10 minutes a day is really, really uh, doing well with all of them. And then all of a sudden, you know, your oldest child hits middle school and then, you know, gets a little older and thinks family devotions are are you know, baby things. Well, what you do is you begin to teach them leadership. You begin, you know, so you have a 12-year-old 
and you say, hey, look, when we do family devotions today, um, I'd actually like you to read the devotion. You know, uh, you're getting a little bit older. You're going to have to do this whenever you're, even if it's a daughter, you know, when you get older. So would you be up for doing that? And they're like, uh, I guess. And you help them along. And then as they get a little older, you might say, hey, um, I'm going to be leading family devotions. Your, your brother's now 11. And, you know, he, he doesn't think this is too cool anymore. So I need you to really hang in there and participate. Set a good example for your brother. And you've just motivated your teen uh, to help his younger brother to do something that he himself was thinking he wasn't going to participate in. Uh, or, you know, hey, your younger sister, she's four. She never gets, she's always answering Jesus for everything. I want you to sit next to her and whisper some simple answers in her ear so that she can answer the right answer. Um, you know, and so um, you involve your kids. As your kids are learning to read themselves, in addition to family devotions, you want to encourage them to do their own spiritual reading. So family devotions are meant to be your way of passing on truth to the kids, but it, it's not meant to be a substitute for their own devotions. And so that could be um, making sure that you have a copy of every story Bible there is that's good. Um, and, uh, you know, I have the Gospel Story Bible. There's a Jesus Story Bible. There is, um, you know, Kevin DeYoung has a book uh, something about the serpent and, uh, you know, so get good books and just, I mean, I use Christmas time to just load up on good Christian books, make sure that there's plenty for them to read. And then as they, as they get older, they can do simple Bible studies. Um, so you can have them just read through a book of the Bible and teach them how to journal, how to write notes. Uh, get them uh, a booklet. Now, not all kids are going to be natural writers. They're going to feel like some kids are going to feel like they're having um, to do another class when they're not in school. But, you know, if, if you just work with them, provide these, these tools, you'll be surprised as to how much actually takes place. Ultimately, it will need to be their initiative prompted by the Holy Spirit that is going to get them to do devotion. So um, I think that you can mandate some in that direction. So you can say, look, you know, every day I want you to open up your Bible and I want you to read a few verses at least. I'm going to be asking you, did you read? I'm not going to make you write a bunch of stuff down. I'm not going to make you spend a ton of time, but I am going to ask you to open your Bible and read. But, you know, I was watching you. I, I saw you. You opened your Bible. It was open for a minute. You shut it. You didn't do anything. You went, you, you went and got your sister's phone. Now, I'm telling you right now, I want you to be doing devotions 15 minutes every day. Like, <laughs> I can't get you very far. <laughs> That's super helpful. I have a quick question kind of to... Um, do you recommend, and I'm assuming this is probably going to be a not a black and white answer, but do you recommend a time over another, you know, for instance, you know, dinner time after dinner and or before bed, or is that kind of 
contingent on the family rhythm? And then um, what are your thoughts on like catechisms? Do you, do you recommend cate you know, catechism questions and those sorts of things? <clears throat> so on the first one, uh, family rhythms are really important. So um, if you're a family where everybody's an early riser and it's easy to pull people together and that seems like a really good time, that would be the exception, but that's a, a great place. Um, I find universally there are two great times to do family devotions, after dinner, before dessert, and before bed. So if you spend time with your kids, tucking them in every night, and you know, particularly if they're all sleeping in the same room, you know, if you've got three kids, one's in a crib, two are in, in a set of bunk beds, and you want to do you know, read a story, talk a little bit about Jesus. That's a great time. As your kids get older, they're in separate bedrooms or, you know, different, uh, you know, times where the older ones aren't maybe going to want to, you know, have you read to them before bed. You know, I find universally the, at least the best time for us where everybody was together was to eat. Uh, now that as my kids have gotten older, that, that exploded. So, you know, when your kids are in high school, junior high, you know, uh, one's got football practice, one's got uh, a, a work to do at a job, another one's got to do a lot of homework, you know, they're going all their separate ways. I think the key that you want is to really focus on the grade school years of, of building uh, a, a pattern of family discipleship. And uh, another thing that you can do, what we did for a while is is have a time of worship on a Sunday night or Sunday afternoon. Nathan, one of our uh, twins, played the piano. And uh, we would have all our kids gather uh, to do a little time of worship. We're talking two or three songs. And, uh, you know, that didn't always go well. I can remember one time uh, our son, Noah, who was you know, fairly young, we said, time for, time for worship. And he said, I hate worship. <laughs> I said, you know what, Noah, you're absolutely right. You hate worship. You know why? Because God hasn't put his spirit in your heart and you are against God. You're an enemy of God right now. So you're absolutely right. You got that 100% right. You hate worship. But you know what? The Bible says that all the earth should praise the Lord. And so you're going to join us, even though you hate it. So I hope one day God changes your heart. <laughs> no. About seven, about seven years later, we're at dinner and he looked over at me. He's probably like, you know, 11 or 12 years old. He goes, hey, dad. I said, yeah. He said, I don't hate worship anymore. Now, how would he refer back to that date seven years later? Because one of the things we have the, the, the great privilege to do is help our children build their testimony. So as your kids are angry, you have an angry heart. You know, you um, are, you know, you have selfishness in there that you need the Lord to take away. One day God's going to touch your heart and take. And so like my kids' testimonies aren't, I grew up in a Christian home. I think I, you know, loved God from a young early age. Uh, you know, I don't really know when I became a Christian. My, my kid's testimony, like Noah's is, um, you know, when I was younger, I hated God and I hated worship. And then he goes on to say how God saved him. All because 
we made a point to acknowledge his sin, help him understand that, yeah, you're absolutely right, that you got it. You hate God, you hate worship, right? Good. Well, we're going to sing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Any other questions? I have a question. Um, first, Marty, you made me laugh about the 11-month-old thing earlier because we have a 10-month-old in Elliot. And we've been doing the Jesus, Jesus Storybook Bible at bedtime, mostly just to help him fall asleep and make me feel better. Um, <laughs> but I think he might pick up on like a thing here and there, because I was doing Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, and he was giving me a lot of side eye during that one. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so my, my wife and I um, were having a discussion, a uh, heated discussion earlier about whether we should let Elliot figure out that crawling into the open dishwasher is a bad idea on his own or whether we should just pull him out um, and, and tell him no. Um, and I think that's like making me think about more like global concept with parenting. And maybe this is like a little bit outside of what we're talking about right now with like devotionals and that sort of thing, but about whether, and maybe this is like both personal logistical, but also like biblical of the balance between trying to protect our kids from the dark parts of the world and the things that can harm them and lead them astray versus like letting them experience things on their own and learn from their own failures. Uh, I know like my mom like, didn't let me read Harry Potter when I grew up. I don't know how that impacted me clearly <laughs> negatively on my mental state. <laughs> Yeah, what are your thoughts on that overall, if the question makes sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, well, well, just to give a stab at it, um, uh, Paul said that the law is a tutor leading us to Christ. The word tutor is pedagogus. A pedagogue was a servant that was assigned to ensure that a child got to school and is often depicted in early drawings holding a, a switch to, to, to strike the child if they stray. And so that's the picture of the law. The law is designed to show us that we need Jesus. So, so parenting follows that same principle Early with our kids, it's very important that they understand that there is a law, there is good and bad, there is um, safe and dangerous, and mom and dad have the authority to tell you what not to touch. So I think that parents can err on two sides of that. Um, over-restrictive, like creating a million laws and their kids can't, you know, everything's a discipline. Um, or overly permissive, thinking that children don't need the law, that they can figure things out on their own. So where you draw those lines is less important than the importance of drawing some of those lines. So what we did in our house is we had a few things that were automatic disciplines. So if you touch an electrical outlet, that was like, you know, uh, God saying, if you step on the mountain, you're dead. You know, you touch the outlet, 
you're down. We're not giving you any warnings. You're going to be disciplined. And there are good reasons for that. Obviously, outlets are dangerous. But it also gave a temptation everywhere in every room um, that our kids had to learn our authority to not touch those things. Uh, we would put, at the time, we used CDs and a CD player for our music. They're very colorful, the plastic clanks, you know. Um, and so our kids were always drawn to the CDs. And um, uh, we could have put them up out of their reach. We put a lot of stuff out of their reach that would hurt them. But we always left the CDs down low, right on the ground where they could touch them. And if they ever touched the CDs, it was an automatic discipline. No discussion, no warnings. Because mom and dad said that was off limits. And so there were a few things like that that taught our kids authority. And it was so interesting, you know, uh, they would look at the CDs, look back at dad, reach for the CDs, look back at dad, go a little closer, look back at dad. And, and, and you know, it was like, what's he going to do? And sometimes they would pull their hand back. And other times it was like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> And they'd grab them. <laughs> they uh, so, so, so how do you make the transition away from the law? Well, that's where grace comes in. But grace isn't permissiveness. Mm -hmm. So um, grace is gospel. So let's say, let me give you an example. Um, you have a six-year-old and they're playing with their four-year-old sister. And all of a sudden she screams, he hit me, he hit me. Uh, and you, you uh, go over to your son and you say, did you hit your sister? And he says, he shakes his head, yes. <clears throat> and you say, okay, let me talk to you. And he comes over. And he said, should, should you, you asked, should you hit your sister? No. <clears throat> okay, I want you to go in your room and to pray to God and ask him to help you to understand what you should do now. So he goes off to his room, comes back in 35 seconds. Okay, I prayed. All right. What did God teach you? Well, um, um, I should tell her I'm sorry. And, you know, why did you get angry? Because she had the block and I wanted it. Okay, should you, should you want the blocks more than obeying God and loving your sister? No. All right. Well, why don't you go um, talk to your sister? and uh, ask her to forgive you and then ask god to forgive you and he goes over and he asks her to forgive him that kid doesn't need discipline you know we might think oh if he hits his sister he gets disciplined well that's probably true if he's three but the moment that he begins to understand and be treated like a mature adult you want to treat him like a mature adult. You want to introduce grace. And so after he apologizes, you could say, look, son, Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive your sins. You're, you're going to need to put your trust in him or you will always be an angry boy. But the Bible says that if we trust in Jesus, he'll put his spirit in our heart and he will change us. He'll make us more like him. He'll take our anger away. And until you do that, you know, you will forever be 
getting angry when you don't get what you want. So gospel moment. You don't need the law in that moment except to help him to see that he did wrong. He's already admitted it. He responded. What do you need? You need the gospel. So the law is critically important when they're really young so that they understand right from wrong. And then when we introduce the gospel, they have a need for it. You know, if all we do is allow our kids to explore and find things out on their own, they don't need God. I figured this out for myself. Now, you know, as for the dishwasher, um, you know, my perspective would be uh, they're expensive. I don't want to have to pay for another one. You know, uh, when, when my kid goes into the dishwasher, he's not going in there to just like, you know, gently explore. He's trashing the place. <laughs> There's some wisdom in that. Uh, <clears throat> to, to piggyback on that, uh, I remember when, so our oldest is uh, nine, and I remember when she was probably, what, three, maybe, when we walked this with one, um, and she was, we felt like she was kind of at this stage where she was, you know, deliberately disobeying, and yeah, so maybe she was five, yes, yeah, so she's a little older. And so we already had two other children. And um, so our, we, you know, I, I did what any good church member would do. And I sent an email to my pastor because he knows everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he said, we'll talk through it at some point. But we were having like a church-wide event. And he came over and he sat down. And our kids were sitting at the table. And he had never said a word about this email. It had been a couple of weeks. He sits down at the table. And he said, uh, he leaned over to you know, and he said, you know, tell us what's going on. And we kind of walked him through it. And he defined the difference between like deliberate disobedience and, and what the Bible says is foolishness versus childishness, you know, being a child. And he also kind of walked through this idea of sometimes they don't hear us, especially in a home that is very quiet, like mine, <laughs> uh, with three girls and two boys. And uh, he said, watch this. And so he gave her a, a you know, a command and she didn't obey at first. And he said, did you, he looked at, he said, Lenny, did you hear me? And she said no. And whether or not she did, he said it again and she obeyed. And so, I mean, do you make any distinction? Like, I just love what you just said, like the grace piece, but do you make a distinction between in those moments? Like, are they really being foolish or are they just being childish? Do you, do you think that's an important distinction? I think it's an important distinction. Um, but really what we're, we're trying to do is discern that in, in their motive, in their heart. So, you know, if, if my son is uh, taking the pull string from his Woody uh, doll and he's swinging it around his head and he clips his sister, um, that's foolishness. Now, he shouldn't have been swinging it over his head, but in fact, I probably never told him. Hey, you see this little round ring on the end of the string? If you hold it and you swing it around above your head, chances are you're going to hit something that you don't realize you're going to hit. So don't ever do that. I probably didn't teach him that. Um, that's different than they're playing and he's got the blocks. There's about 80 of them on the floor. He's playing with 15 and his sister starts playing with three on the other side of the pile. He picks one up and he clocks her in the head. Uh, that's, that's foolishness, but there's something about what he didn't get. There was an anger that um, I want to help him to see 
is an instinctive expression of who he is as a result of being a fallen sinner in the kingdom. And so I'm not going to treat that like foolishness. I'm going to treat that like sin. Um, and that doesn't mean that every time my kid does something like that, I uh, will discipline them. It does mean that every time my kid does something like that, I'm going to engage them with the law, that they are a lawbreaker. And then we'll see, you know, do they respond like an adult or do they, you know, the moment that I point out their fault, fall to the ground in a tantrum and just say, you always blame me, you always blame me, then it might be time for us to go uh, meet Uncle Rodney. <laughs> what if you're i'm only asking this not because this is the reality but maybe someone's uh nervous to ask this what if you and your spouse are on different pages about family discipleship and like either the spouse isn't doing it the way you would want or you want to instigate more or the flow isn't working according to what you think like how do spouses work together um especially if it's not natural or it's not coming it's not clicking immediately yeah i think that um it's wise to uh it's wise to uh assume that we are not going to be able to figure everything out without additional input in our lives, in our marriages. So um, if you have a policy as a husband and wife that if you can't get to agreement on what you should do and how you should do it, whatever that is, that you're just gonna get counsel from a, a trusted friend or a pastor and that you're gonna take that counsel seriously, whether it goes against you or your spouse, you know? Um, there's often wisdom in both parties and uh, we can be stubborn sometimes, but when we humble ourselves to open up our lives to other people, um, I just think that God pours out his grace and we can, you know, and it's not a time to say, huh? Okay. <laughs> I, I told you. And we went to Charlie. Look what Charlie said. He wasn't agreeing with you so much. Was he? he was agreeing. Like, you could really screw that grace up. But, um, you know, I just think let's, let's, let's be careful. And let me speak to this too, because um, let's say that you're a mom and you have aspirations on what your husband should be doing in leading devotions and you know he gives it a try but he fails uh, uh, to be consistent or he's not doing all the things that you're suggesting maybe what you're suggesting are all good things but maybe in this season of his life the grace just isn't there um you know i've seen two kinds of responses in wives one is the wife who continually encourages and lets her husband know you're great at what you do. God's going to help you. In the meantime, she backs him up and takes care. You know, um, you know. I really think that they uh, they should be memorizing scripture, and you're not memorizing scripture with them. Well, I'm not going to do it because it's your responsibility. You're the dad. 
you know, no, no, go ahead, memorize scripture with them, encourage him to do what he can. And um, so I would say, let's work together. And, and that reminds me earlier, somebody asked about a catechism. Um, I think catechizing kids, having them memorizing scripture is a good thing, as long as um, we are also conversational in that and we dialogue through it. So if we just simply rely on dry memorization, you know, I knew a family, their kids were in Bible quiz. They memorized entire books of the Bible. Um, and they thought that that was their kid's spirituality. And many of them fell away from the Lord, you know, a lot of Bible memorized. So I think it's really important that we're dialoguing with our kids and we're relational, but catechisms and Bible memory uh, can be good tools to, to use alongside of that. I think on that on that point, we'll uh, honor Marty's time and, and wrap up here. But I think husbands, generally speaking, need encouragement um, with consistency and, and just trying because sometimes you feel like a fish out of water trying to explain the Bible you know, to your kids. Um, I think um, a wife has a ability to communicate at times with kids in ways, this is general broad stroke, but in ways that uh, can be super helpful um, that a husband maybe isn't in, disposed to or is inclined to working together, communicating, leaning on one another, not allowing your feelings to get hurt if you receive mm -hmm. an encouragement on how to do something, as well as uh, wives seeing husbands and the encouragement to keep on doing it. Or I think sometimes I, I felt this even before, like, I, the timing isn't right in the day. I'm not sure how it fits, you know, whatever it is, like just just all those kind of things, it's easy to get discouraged and not want to do it, or you try to do it and it doesn't go well, like we've been talking about. And, and Marty's, uh, when he quoted Proverbs, um, I think it was 24, 16, like a righteous man falls seven times, you know, but, but continues to get up. Like, I think a righteous family is going to fall seven times over, uh, 70 times seven uh, in their family discipleship journey, both in the moments in the car, as well as at the dinner table or at bedtime. And it's that grace to see one another as fellow followers of Christ, husband and wife, to encourage each other, work together um, and not give up, you know, in that. And I think that's such a, an important piece and some, some wise counsel there. So um, Marty, thank you for your time and, uh, and your encouragement and instruction to us, um, and uh, would love to have you pray us out and, and just pray over uh, these families. I, I mentioned to you we have uh, seven different families represented here, others that uh, will hopefully uh, be able to uh, receive some encouragement from this and participating in some of the ministries that are going on at TCC. We want to be a church that partners with parents to make disciples uh, the next generation and uh, want to be faithful in doing that and pointing our kids to the gospel. And, um, and so just love for you to pray over these families here, as well as even our church as we seek to do that. Sure. I'd love to Lord, thank you for this opportunity to uh, just gather in a desire to pass on the gospel to the next generation. The truth is we are weak we are feeble, we fail. Lord, apart from your grace, we can do nothing. And so I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon every family here and in this church. Lord, you would stir their hearts up, pass on their faith to tell the story, that they would be inspired 
And anyone who came in this uh, room condemned, I pray, Lord God, that you would restore their joy to know that the hard work is being done by you. They need to tell the story. You will cause the seed to sprout and grow. So Lord, let them be released of condemnation, freshly motivated to give it another try, to press in, to do what they can, to take one thing that they learned from their time tonight and look to do it. Not 10 things, just one thing. And by your grace, cause that one thing to blossom, produce fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Marty, thank you so much. <clears throat> we'll uh, grateful for, uh, for you. My pleasure. Away tonight to be a part of this, and uh, thank your family for being yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, I will do that. Have a great night. Thanks so thank much. Bye. Bye. So I want. Um,